Welcome to the Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. To many, the presence of auditory hallucinations is one of the hallmarks of many psychiatric disorders. Indeed, John Nash spoke about how his hallucinations came to him in the same way as did his mathematical ideas, so he said he took his hallucinations seriously. But the specific characteristics and etiology of hallucinations is still too imprecise. Joining us today is Dr. Flavie Waters, who is an associate professor of psychiatry at the University of Western Australia in Perth. Dr. Waters, thank you for talking to us. Thank you. Let's begin with a simple but important question. Is there a difference between a hallucination and a thought, in the sense perhaps that a thought can be voluntarily stopped? There are a lot of differences between thoughts and auditory hallucinations. If I may start by actually explaining a little bit what are auditory hallucinations. Please do, please do. It'll become a little bit clear how they are different from other experiences that we have. Auditory hallucinations essentially false perceptions of sound. That is, it's like hearing a voice, uh, words, or sound without actually any external input from the environment. So these are experiences of words or noises which have actually no real origin in the world outside, but they are perceived like sound, but they are quite separate from a person's mental processes. And people hear voices or experience uh, hallucinations, actually describe them as as being uh, an experience of sound, as if it's a person talking. So it's a very real experience of sound and uh, many uh, people believe that they are very real experiences. And if I may continue on um, talking about this like that, one of the reasons is that they are, they carry a lot of the characteristic of, of people's voices and of, of characteristic in the environment. So, for example, common types of auditory hallucinations uh, consist of, of voices, and these voices may either be male or female, and they may have accents which are quite different from, from that of the person. So they're very, very detailed. The people who experience them can tell us exactly you know, what sex the person is and where the person comes from. Sometimes the voices are experienced uh, and recognized as belong to someone who's familiar, like somebody in the family or a neighbor or even someone they, they know from TV personality or radio personality. So these are very real experiences. These are quite different from thoughts, which are often just fleeting, often visual experiences of visual internal things. So, and that's why auditory hallucinations are perceived to be very real because they have their own physical, in a way, form and characteristic. And and also something that you touched on is because the experience of hallucinations in mental illness means that the experience is rarely voluntary. So these experiences are unintentional, they're unwanted, they're intrusive, and and these are not usually commonly associated with, with normal thought processes. So, well, the question that came to my mind, it, actually two questions came to my mind. One, you kept referring to these as external sounds, but auditory hallucination does not necessarily have to be verbal. It, it can be other things as well. It could be music. Yes, absolutely. But that's another form of, uh, of a hallucination with uh, environmental sounds. Some people would experience some music playing or uh, some tapping or environmental sounds or dogs barking, animal, animal sounds. So any really uh, sound that can come from the outside is actually generated by the brain spontaneously in the form of, of hallucinations. 
So the whole range of, uh, of experiences that people report. Hallucinations are not necessarily limited to just psychiatric conditions as well. Uh, medical conditions can sometimes produce hallucinations. That's right. Uh, they're quite common in psychiatric conditions. I mean, we uh, see them in people who have schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, but they're also associated with medical conditions, as you say, and they're quite common in temporal lobe epilepsy, some forms of dementia, some cerebral tumors, but also um, severe intoxication from uh, with, with alcohol or, um, or drug abuse, for example. Quite interesting, in the last few years, there's been quite a lot of research uh, showing that hallucinations are very common in the healthy population. Quite a range of studies have showed now that up to 40% of people who have no current or past history of psychiatric illness actually report these experiences on a, quite frequently. So they're, they're especially common when people fall asleep or wake up. Yes, yeah, so they're quite common in healthy people. Uh, of course, from a, from a psychiatric point of view, it's very interesting to see the difference between people who experience these voices but do not experience them as being intrusive and unwanted and people who experience no distress from them compared to people who experience them and experience a lot of distress. So, That's uh, so fascinating. Yes, it is. And we're very much interested now in kind of seeing, okay, what, what, what's the point at which people say, well, this is too much, I must seek treatment? Or what is so special to people who have hallucination, experience no distress? So can we learn from these people and give that information back to people who experience a lot of distress? So this is what we learn from these other people. And perhaps this is a way that we may want to explore as a way forward. Do these people who apparently do not have a traditional psychiatric condition but are hallucinating, do they have conversations with their voices? Is it the same linguistic complexity as in the, the people who suffer from psychosis? Do we know enough about that? Well, we do know quite a lot. There are, you're right, a few differences, key differences really. But the first one is about the frequency. People who hear voices who experience them as being quite distressing, experience very frequent hallucinations, sometimes several times a day. Some people report them continuously, and that's very hard to stay strong and focused in, that, in the face of so much input. The other one is the complexity you mentioned. People who don't experience distress usually hear single words, often their names being called out, whereas the experience of hallucinations in psychiatric illnesses, they, they can be quite complex experiences where people hear sentences, sometimes more than one person talking or having conversation often about them, and also the differences in the emotional response, how people actually perceive this experience to be, whether it's threatening, whether it's talking about them and they should feel that they, protect, they should be protecting themselves. And also what this experience is attributed to. So people who perceive the voices to be to be arising from their brain, saying, well, it's my mind playing a trick on me, actually react a lot better. They, they feel they can own that experience. They accept and cope with the voice a lot better compared to people who tend to say, well, the voice must be coming from an external force or someone uh, talking to me because they feel so real, tend to have difficulties accepting the voice as just being uh, a side effect of, of difficulties with brain functioning, really. So it would be interesting to jump to the conclusion that perhaps some people actually 
find comfort in a hallucination. It's a friend or it can be very comforting. And if we take it away with medication, they could miss that hallucination. I've had people telling me that one of the things that they regret about going on to medication is actually like losing a friend. But these are actually quite rare experiences in, in my experience and that's majority of people who hear voices would experience both positive voices and negative voices. And whereas one can miss the positive side of it, it's rare to hear people who would miss the, the, the negative impact of these voices. And we find that there are hallucinations in different types of psychoses. There's major depressions and mania. Are they conceptually the same type of hallucination as we would see in a schizophrenia? There would be very similar, I would say. I think the difference would be some type of voices are thought to be more characteristic of schizophrenia, although such show that this is not the case. It was originally believed that people who hear two or more voices talking about them, these experiences would be more typical of, of a schizophrenia, but this shows that this is not the case. And uh, the experience of uh, auditory hallucination and the psychosis is very much similar between major dis major psychotic disorders and there's nothing that is specific to one psychotic disorder at least as far as hallucinations is concerned. Do we have any sense, any working theory that seems to explain why hallucinations occur? It seems almost like if I can use a very common term, it's like there's a short circuit in the brain. Yes well that's certainly a, a disease of the brain in that it, it does arise from an abnormality in the brain functioning and, and it's and it's subject to quite a lot of research and a lot of debate. I mean, I think one dominant hypothesis about about auditory hallucinations and voices is that they may arise from from inner speech processes. Inner speech is when we speak to ourselves silently in our head. These hypotheses suggest that there would be abnormalities in the brain areas concerned with speech processing and especially the language comprehension area, which is really the brain's listening center called the um, primary auditory cortex. Uh, in support of this, find abnormal activation of the primary auditory cortex, which suggests that hallucinatory experiences would be associated with the brain experience of listening to external speech but without actually any input from the external sound. So what we have here, this random alteration, uh, random activation of this auditory cortex, which generates the sense that, oh, we're hearing something without actually input. So this hypothesis really focuses on inner speed and verbal hallucination, but of course, you know, there are many different types of hallucinations, and we talked about before that there are non-verbal hallucinations of music and environment or sound. So what I like personally, and some research that I've been involved in, really proposes the idea that they consist of auditory memories, memories of sounds that we've heard before, waterfalls, dog barking, and these memories become a bit rogue, a bit loosely associated and spontaneously activate themselves in an abnormal way. And in fact, that can explain a whole more the whole range of the hallucinatory experience. But of course, they are, auditory hallucinations are very complex, complex experiences and multifaceted, and, and it's very likely that what we have is a range of brain abnormalities which are involved. So at the moment, we believe that in addition to the abnormalities in the auditory cortex, there might be 
problems with the frontal cortex because the frontal cortex actually monitors what's going on in the rest of the brain. So if we have problem with the frontal cortex, it actually stops us monitoring the experience or saying, hang on, my brain tells me I can hear a waterfall, but I'm not in a place where I don't have any waterfall in my house. So how can this be? So we've got this checking center here, which is not functioning well in people with auditory hallucinations. So the idea of the short circuit you mentioned here is, is kind of similar to that idea in that the, the different parts of the brain are not really talking to each other. So if one is not working very well, we don't have that other center that goes, hang on, let's think about this. Is this plausible? Because it brings up a very interesting notion that someone who's older and suffering from dementia as different parts of the brain deteriorate or, or cease to function properly, that they don't know what's going on and that they don't have the mechanism to be the coach and organize everything and put the thoughts in the right order and give them the right perspective. That's a very interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, well, in fact, the experience of hallucination in dementia is, is very much very high, and we see that the experience of hallucinatory-like experiences uh, increases as we age, and, and it's certainly very much the focus of, our, of, of my research at the moment uh, to have a look at these auditory hallucinations in people with dementia and have a look whether some of the processes that we see in people who experience psychosis in early onset really have similar processes. The sim sorry, whether the processes which are involved in auditory hallucination are the same in different disorders in, and across age range differences. That also may explain sometimes the um, difficulties we have in treating it, why people respond or don't respond, because it's not it's a heterogeneous event, not necessarily a homogeneous event. Yes, that's correct. And I think it is important to need to say that the, the presence of hallucination does not imply a need for treatment. People who experience the voices of the experience to be very distressing, people who who find that the voices interfere with their activities, with work and social activities and so on, should think about medical treatment and different types of treatment that respond, that are advocated. Some studies show that antipsychotic medication is usually very effective for some people. And other people find that the social and psychological intervention actually tends to work very well too. And in fact, studies show that the combination of, of antipsychotic medication and social and psychological intervention actually works best because the social and psychological interventions, such as cognitive behavior therapy or um, CBT, actually help people gain bit of insight into what's going on and, and provide some strategies for reducing anxiety and for analyzing the experience and changing the belief about the person's relationship with the voices. This combination of treatment works best for some people uh, have very unique response to, to medication, of course. It's very interesting because I have also seen people who have reached the point of accepting their hallucinations. It, it's, it's an epiphany of sorts. And they'll say, okay, I recognize this is not me. The voices are not real. I'm trying to put them over on the shelf and learn to ignore them and to accept them. And then that, that's a turning point in their life very often because, unfortunately, um, although we can control many hallucinations with medications, we can't control all of them. That's correct. That's correct. I would like to, to point out there are some peer support groups that we have a lot in Australia. I know they're very popular in, in Europe. I don't know if you have them in, in America, but we have this voice hearers network, which is run by people who are voice hearers. They call themselves voice hearers for people who are voice hearers. And they, these self-help groups encourage people to take responsibility 
for, uh, for, their, for their experiences and to accept the voice as part of who they are and really to accept that the brain is doing that and, and just to get on with it and to cope with it. I had heard of the Voice Heroes Group and I managed to get their website, so I'll, I'll say it right here. It's www, well, they're all www, intervoiceonline, one word, dot org, and it's the organization that you just referred to. It's they are extremely helpful. All the people I know who go there find them extremely helpful. And one reason is to be able to talk to people who have the same voices and who have the same experience and who experience them a, a bit differently. And this type of work comes really from pioneer studies in the 70s who in, in the Netherlands where they encouraged people, any type of people with a range of conditions or no psychiatric conditions to ring in and share their experience about their voice hearing. And what they find is that people tended to be quite different. Some people had a lot of voices but had very normal, productive life with no distress and some others actually tended to be very distressed with their voices and to find that they could not function. And they find that the difference between the people who are dealing very well with the voices and people who are not is how they, the relationship with their voices is really how they viewed their voices. And they found that the acceptance process the lack of resistance towards the voices actually led to, to more successful adaptation to the voices. And this change of relationship is pivotal in saying, well, I do have these voices. They're part of me. There's nothing I can do. They found that the experience actually, that, that process of changing the way they thought about the voices was actually a very positive experience for them moving on. Which speaks to the incredible and often understated but so important association and, and relationship between our professional divisions, namely psychiatry and psychology, that they don't separate when it comes to actually dealing with a person. This has been very interesting. Dr. Flavie Waters is a associate professor of psychiatry at the University of Western Australia in Perth. Again, thank you so much for taking us on a, on a brief but very intense tour of a very complex topic that people need to know more about. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye.